This episode contains graphic language and content that may be alarming to some. Listener discretion is advised. Church dominated Talk about what spending his money on you get life into a hit. In February of 2011, if you were skipping around on late night cable, you might have come across an interview with an intense looking guy in a black suit and a gray shirt. Here with us is someone with more radical vision of the future, Patry Friedman, founder of the Seasteading Institute. Seasteading instead of homesteading, platforms in the ocean, why? His name was Patry Friedman, and he was pitching a big idea, seasteading. Hey, I'm Patry Friedman, and I've been thinking for 20 years about how we can make government and society work better. Seasteading is the idea of homesteading the high seas, living permanently on the ocean. Patry is a libertarian, someone who wants small government, like extremely small. For example, libertarians oppose the idea of public education or of a minimum wage, but libertarian views have never been very popular, which means people like Patry have had a hard time getting their ideas actually put into practice. So what could they do? Well, we want people to be able to peacefully test new forms of government. I mean, no technology advances unless you can try new things. The same is true for political systems, just like anything else. And right now, governments control all the land, so you need to create a new place. Exactly. Technically, no one owns the ocean, which made it the perfect place for Patrick to build a new society. No compromises, no rules. And so on April 15th, 2008, Patrick co-founded the Seasteading Institute. We looked into like whether it's practical and how and the international law and the engineering and the business models uh, to build on the oceans. The Institute quickly announced that its first prototype would launch in San Francisco Bay. The idea was a hit. You've raised happen. millions of dollars. Yeah, we've raised almost $2 million. Our lead donor is Peter Thiel, who invented PayPal, was the first investor in Facebook. It's, it's a bit of a long shot, like any startup, but it's a long shot worth taking because if it works, it'll completely transform government, right? Instead of all of this complaining about how our government works, we can go out and compete with it. I mean, it's the entrepreneur's way to fix things. Go do something better. Patrick Friedman had a big idea for changing the world. He had millions of dollars to back him, and he had the media spotlight. But when you look out in the bay today, there is no floating city. There are no new societies operating in the high seas. So what happened? As it turns out, founding a new country is easier said than done. From Interval Presents and Awfully Nice, this is The Last Resort. I'm Shutezkat. Episode 2, The Ballad of Marcus and Lewis. Americans are pretty divided these days. But as we talked about last episode, there is one thing a lot of people do agree on. Our system of government doesn't work. So it's probably no surprise that interest is growing in ideas like CalExit. Now as protesters around the, our state and around the country took to the streets on Twitter, the hashtag CalExit began to trend. This is real. This could happen. 
And this would mean breaking up the United States of America. Is it crazy for California to want to leave the union? I don't think it's crazy at all. CalExit was founded back in 2014 by two friends, Marcus Ruiz Evans and Louis Marinelli. There have been plenty of independence movements in the U.S. over the years, from Texas to Alaska to Cascadia and the Pacific Northwest. But so far, none of these efforts have been successful. So why would CalExit be any different? And why would Marcus and Louis dedicate years of their lives to such a long-shot idea? Today, we're going to tell you their story, how they took CalExit from a fringe idea to headline news, and why they believe CalExit can succeed where others have failed. I never started off wanting to become a secessionist. This is Marcus. He's shy and stocky in his 40s. He looks more like an accountant than a political leader. Even he seems surprised by how his life has turned out. I never started off wanting to become a nationalist. I kind of fell into that role. And I would say I'm the best known California secessionist in California. Uh, That was a title I never thought I would have. I never saw myself here. It just kind of happens. Marcus may not have set out to be an activist, but the roots of his political ideas go all the way back to his childhood. He grew up in a city called Fresno, far from the beaches or Hollywood. He was a sensitive kid who loved reading and playing with his friends. Here's his mom, Connie. Marcus always seemed to adopt and become best friends with all the different groups or children who needed caring. Marcus always had to be the leader. He always had to be the general or, you know, the lieutenant or something to tell everybody what to do. I had Asian friends, white friends, black friends. Hispanic friends, there are other people mixed like me. Nobody said anything. I'm half Mexican and half Caucasian. And my mom is full-blood Mexican. And she's a CFO at a international agriculture firm in one of the top Fortune 500 companies in America. Marcus's mom would often travel for work. And she would come home with stories about an America that seemed a lot different from Fresno. I was in the Pacific Northwest. I had gone up there to teach a meeting. The manager had taken us to this particular bar and grill. So it was summer and I had on a short sleeve shirt and I'm Hispanic and I get very dark in the summer if I want to, right? You just go out in the sun and you get dark. There was a gentleman who'd been in the bar way too long. So he came over and he said kind of slurringly, you know, what are you doing here? You need to get back on the reservation and uh, started really getting aggressive and in my face. So I'm telling him, you don't have the right to treat me this way. And I couldn't believe that anybody treats someone that way. And about that time, the location manager came in. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, she's from corporate. We aren't going to do this. (laughs) And she made sure she told her young boy about how she was treated in the middle of America. People would yell at her, are you off the goddamn reservation? Get your ass back on the reservation. Hearing these stories from his mom wasn't just upsetting to Marcus. It was confusing. I'm being told from everybody in California, America loves diversity. It's all acceptance everywhere. And I'm like, "Mm, I'm hearing two different things. One from friends and family in California and one from my mom who's actually been to America. And so I kind of grew up that way from an early boy going, there's this 
I knew things were different in California than America. He was always like, I love California. Why would we not always be here? You know, it's inclusive. We're our own breadbasket. It has the ability to support itself. The weather's perfect. If you want to go skiing, you can go from Fresno up to the mountain and you can come home. If you want to go to the ocean, you just go from Fresno over to the ocean and you come home. As we'll hear next episode, this image of California being some kind of refuge from injustice is flawed at best. But Marcus and Connie aren't the only people who think there's just something special about the state. Here's Pat Morrison, a journalist for the LA Times who writes about California history. The original California from a novel that's mentioned in Don Quixote talked about California as an island. It was a different place, a place all of its own, that it was a reward at the end of a long journey. And so I think Californians still think of California as an entity unto itself. Just the size of the American West argues that we are a place of independent spirit. California is often a leading indicator for issues like human rights or climate change or things like that. You see that again and again in California. California allows a peek into the future for other states to see, well, if we were to do this, what would probably happen? So there's this uniqueness, I think, to the community that is California. And I think that's what was the premise around his first book was the model of how unique California is. After he graduated college, Marcus hadn't quite figured out what he wanted to do. But these childhood experiences and ideas about California stayed with him. So I set out to write a book to simply document that California culture was different from America. That's all I was attempting to do. That simple idea eventually expanded into something more. I did not come up with the idea of California being a nation. I read about Pat Morrison, the Pulitzer Prize winner at the LA Times. I was seeing reporters and scholars and professors going, California's kind of a nation. I I never thought about it that way until I started writing the book and doing the research. It was other people who had expressed this idea before me and had pedigree that convinced me to go into this path. Three years in and I was losing my grip on my sanity because I had gone from, this is a simple discussion about how California culture is different to, bro, you're actually saying California should secede and become a nation? Yes, you're actually saying this. Oh my God, think about what you're saying. And you're gonna put your name on this and publish this. Are you sure you know what you're doing? Cause you don't get to walk this back. One person who was definitely raising the red flag was Connie, Marcus's mom. When he very first introduced this idea, and then he started talking about secession. There are many people who are veterans, his father, my husband, um, who feel a loyalty to the country. The United States is a beautiful, gorgeous country. And every place you go, there are people who have a uniqueness in their community. It's an amazing nation. And in my opinion, we should stay unified. Despite his mom's worries, Marcus published his book in 2012. And that might have been the end of it if not for Lewis.
My family is all from New York State. I moved to California. Just Actually, I was a, a fan of the San Diego Chargers, and I wanted to be able to watch the games and go to the games. This is Luis Marinelli. He's a white guy in his mid-30s with a short beard starting to go a little gray. Luis is complicated. But for now, let's just say his story begins with love. Lewis started his career teaching English, sometimes in the U.S., and sometimes overseas. During one of these stints abroad, he fell in love with a woman named Anastasia. I met a woman, kind of by chance, very accidental meeting, and we ended up moving to the United States together. And we stayed there, and we moved to California. Anastasia followed Lewis to the U.S. on a tourist visa, but eventually it expired. She overstayed the visa, and we tried to adjust her status for several years. Nothing of that worked. So that really kind of caused us a lot of stress in our family. That prevented her from being able to work or finish her education and maybe even leave the country, because if she leaves the country, then she can't come back. So the situation is then you just got to stay now, right? Because uh, we can't risk you going overseas to you know not be able to come back for five years or ten years because they have those automatic bans. Lewis's fight with the immigration system left him angry. How could something as dumb as a visa issue destroy his marriage? And yet it didn't seem like the government was in a hurry to do anything about it. Welcome to America, my boy. Why should we be having no progress on immigration? Because senators from Vermont or Maine or Montana, who have nothing to do with immigration, really, because nobody lives there. <laughs> uh, why, why are we being held up because of this? I was like, well, what if we just had California was its own country? If California was its own country, we could have an immigration system and rules that people in California need and want, not just us, right? There's millions of people in California who would be affected by something being done to reform the immigration system. Lewis created an online group to explore his idea. Then I started looking for other people who could join the campaign to help me, you know, advance this cause. And I found uh, Marcus Ruiz Evans. I think it was the evening, about 6 o'clock p.m., maybe 6 or 8. I just remember it was dusk, dark outside. Lewis called me on the phone. I believe that he was somewhat cautious about who I was because here's this stranger from San Diego uh, who's contacting him saying he wants to work on California secession. And so here's somebody that's contacting him out of the blue and saying, let's start a campaign. We talked for three hours that day. Then we talked for three hours the next day. Then we talked for three hours the next day and the next day and the next day and about five days in, three-hour conversations. Uh, I had a serious bromance with this guy. He had such a big heart as a volunteer. He just wanted to do something and put it out there and move, move, move. I invited him to my place in Fresno. He came out for a weekend. We met in person and we got out our big uh, you know, dry erase board and started brainstorming the campaign for California independence. I think after that first weekend, we realized we're going to do this. From that moment on, the two men were inseparable. The campaign they started together would come to be known as Cal Exit. Despite the bromance, not everyone was feeling Lewis. Marcus's mom, for one. I have my own opinion about Lewis Marinelli uh, and have since the start. I do think he's an opportunist. 
I don't know that he's a trustworthy character. When you look at all of the evidence of where he is, his actions, and the different positions that he has put forward over his, the last 10 years, I will say, I always cautioned Marcus about him and his engagement in his life. Over many conversations, emails, and dinners at Buffalo Wild Wings, Marcus and Lewis slowly fleshed out their vision for an independent California. To them, it was a no-brainer. We can have our own clean land laws and clean air laws. We wouldn't have millions of people as second-class citizens who are scared to report to the police or file paperwork because they're afraid that they'll be deported. We could do more of our own stuff better without these people in the way of blocking us. More importantly, they believed it could work. If California were a country, it would have an economy bigger than France. It has nukes, the iPhone, and some of the most productive farmland in the world. In their mind, California wouldn't just survive on its own. It could become a global leader. To build support for the CalExit campaign, Marcus and Lewis took their pitch on the road. It was a rough start. Our first ever activity for CalExit was here in Fresno, I think at the Walmart parking lot. I was wearing shorts and flip-flops and uh, a t-shirt. And you know, Lewis came dressed up and he was like, oh God, what are you doing? And I go, well, I don't have a change of clothes. Is flip-flops and shorts not okay for a protest? And he's like, not if there's media. I knew nothing. I mean, amateur hour. Lewis and Marcus began organizing events across the state, pulling up to beaches and parks and just chatting up the people who came by. Uh, We tried to travel around as much as we could and just distribute literature. I like to go to, I think it was Long Beach or Santa Monica where you could stand up on the top of the cliff and look down at the beach. And there's a bunch of people just relaxing on the beach and I take my bullhorn and they can't go anywhere. So all I can do is just preach to them and they can't escape because it's, I got the upper ground. (laughs) Would California turn, like, L.A., San Diego, San Francisco into states of the country? Actually, yes. What we want to do is actually take each of our 58 counties and turn them basically into a state, which means that each county would have its own governor, its own legislature, local governance. We want to empower the county. As the months passed, their pitch got sharper. CalExit was slowly starting to feel like a professional operation. A lot of that was thanks to Lewis. The more time they spent together the more Marcus's admiration for Lewis grew. He was brilliant, brilliant at marketing and media. Lewis is also the smartest man I've ever met in my life or read about at public relations and marketing. We would not be here if it wasn't for Lewis. If Marcus was the soul of CalExit, Lewis was its face. He shined as a public speaker and loved talking with people, so much so that he eventually announced a run for state assembly. Hi, my name is Louis Marinelli, and I'm a candidate for the 80th Assembly District, and I'm running for State Assembly. I'm touching the ground right now, and it's very hot. The ground is very hot under the San Diego, California sun. How about we replace the asphalt roads with solar panels? With constant touring, they slowly gained allies. People like Theo Slater, a lawyer from Northern California. It was Marcus and Lewis. Um, We found each other on Facebook, and then that grew to, like, eight or nine people. Like Marcus, Theo really identified with the idea 
that California was just different. And the U.S. was only holding the state back from doing amazing things. It could be a force for for good in the world. It could be um, a Switzerland on the Pacific that didn't start wars with people. Every Californian could have health care. And, and these were goals that the United States would never be capable of. As more supporters came on board, a disagreement popped up. Some people wanted to focus on getting CalExit on the ballot, while others wanted to get pro-CalExit candidates elected into government. The solution was to found two different organizations. Marcus and Lewis would lead a group called Yes California. It would focus on the ballot initiative. The second group, which included Theo Slater, became the California National Party, or CNP for short. And a note before we go on, today, the Cal Exit movement has grown bigger than any one group. But whenever we talk about Cal Exit, we're talking about Marcus, Lewis, and their group, Yes California. The groups were close allies. Lewis was actually the first interim chairman of the CMP. Together, they could attack the Cal Exit problem from different angles. And the arrangement worked great. Until it didn't. Lewis was there at the very beginning of the California National Party. Now, the California National Party did kick him out and publicly disavow him. I hadn't really done very much research into his political background, and I certainly wasn't aware of his future plans. And I also subsequently learned um, other information about him that if I had known, I probably never would have wanted to speak to him in the first place. Um, I think I'll leave it at that. But we'll get into all that in later episodes. As time passed, the friendship between Marcus and Lewis deepened. Bonded by their shared vision and lack of cash, the two men grew incredibly close. I mean, I shared a bed with him. I'm straight, but, you know, we were keeping things on a budget, so you get close to people when you share life experiences. And he went through a divorce. I was there when he was going through a divorce. You're spending years with this person. You're sharing hotel rooms, eating meals, crying in front of each other uh, when you won't do that for anybody else. So you get real, real, real close. By the middle of 2016, thousands of people had joined the CalExit movement. But in a state with 40 million people, this was far from mainstream. And without more funding and media attention, it was hard to see how they could ever get there. I expected people to hear the word secession and think that's brain-dead crazy. And that's not what I found. We were finding a third of the population of 40 million people, if you could get in front of them, were like, sure. That shocked me. I didn't know that. People were open to the idea. And we were surprised by that. The only problem that we had was that people, you know, kind of would think that's a great idea, but it'll never happen. But then something happened that changed everything overnight. Donald Trump is elected the president of the United States of America. And this is a seismic political earthquake that will have... Fuck this. That was the reaction of millions of Californians to the election of Donald Trump. They took to the streets in protests, and some were inspired to take even more drastic action. From San Diego to Los Angeles to Berkeley. Much of California is furious over who will soon be running the nation's highest office. So what's happening today? Why are you guys here today? It's a rebuke or refutation of Donald Trump. 
and the fact that America chose him as their election official. Now, we're about California leaving, and this proves our point. If California votes were taken away, Trump won the popular election. So what kind of people elect a man like that? The answer, not Californians. Here's Theo Slater again. He was one of CalExit's first supporters. When that 2016 election happened, it was a catastrophe in a lot of ways, but my phone was ringing off the hook. It made a whole lot of Californians give up on the American project all at once. Here's Lewis. It was reporters, it was people sending messages of support, and a lot of people wanted to like volunteer to do something or they had a business they wanted to donate their resources to. We were putting together like Facebook discussion groups as fast as we could, and we were doing all this stuff. We really weren't ready for that level of interest. It was unexpected. I think Donald Trump didn't even expect to win, let alone us. CalExit exploded in size virtually overnight. Donations poured in. Marcus was no longer handing out flyers in Walmart parking lots. He was appearing on national television. Marcus Ruiz Evans is co-founder of CalExit. Marcus Ruiz Evans, the president of Yes California, a group advocating for the Golden State's independence from America. Is it time for the Golden State to secede, become their own country? The man who says yes. His name is Marcus Ruiz Evans. Marcus, why do you want to leave us? Money, press coverage, enthusiasm. By December 2016, everything that Marcus and Lewis had been working towards suddenly felt like it was within their grasp. In short, they were in just about the same position that Patrick Friedman had been in back in 2011. At the beginning of this episode, we told you about Patrick's plan to build new countries on the ocean. Like CalExit, seasteading was a big, ambitious idea. And back in 2011, there were lots of reasons to believe that it could work. There is some precedent for this. There's a Dutch abortion ship. That's right, Women on Waves is a, a Dutch flagged ship that goes around to countries where abortion is illegal and it goes into port, people get on board, and then it goes out past the 12-mile limit and performs abortions. But with all the media hype around seasteading came plenty of tough questions. You're saying living, like living on a platform on the sea, right? So That's what right. about weather conditions? So you're saying that government um, is different when it's on the sea set. What happens when government starts developing there and they start regulating things? Is it going to be different? I've kind of come to accept that I'm probably never going to be able to afford oceanfront property. How affordable is this going to be? The seasteading prototype in San Francisco Bay never launched. Neither did a deep sea colony promised for 2014. The reason why is honestly pretty simple. It's fucking hard to build a country. Here's Patrick Friedman again. It's really hard. It's been a long struggle. The ocean is really hard to work on. We have designs that would work, but we don't have the combination of the location, the states to cooperate with, the people who want to live there, and the businesses to sustain it. While the Seasteading Institute exists today, their dream of floating nations is still just getting started. The truth is, movements like Seasteading or CalExit are long shots. California alone has seen hundreds of attempts to secede or divide itself since it became a state. Here's Pat Morrison again. About 220 times in more than 170 years, some politicians, some groups said, we want to be out of here. 
but the idea of the practicalities of becoming a nation are overwhelming and are daunting and kind of dispiriting. But while most of us would be discouraged by this long history of failures, Kalex's leaders are unfazed. In their view, achieving the impossible is kind of what California is all about. Here's Theo Slater. California is about dreaming about a future yet to be and then creating that dream. And I think that the national project for California dovetails very well with that culture. Patrick Friedman shares the sentiment. If we can all find virtue in a good life and improving society in our own way, great. Do it a thousand different ways. My first political blog was called Let a Thousand Nations Bloom. And I think we need a thousand movements to refactor society. At least one major figure agrees with this moonshot approach. Billionaire Peter Thiel. He was a primary investor in the Seasteading Institute. And regarding CalExit, he told the New York Times, quote, it would be good for California, good for the rest of the country, unquote. The election of Donald Trump brought massive attention to CalExit. By December of 2016, Marcus and Lewis were under pressure to turn that attention into actual progress. Their first step was to get CalExit on the ballot. That meant convincing a lot more people that they were for real. Actually starting with Marcus's mom, Connie. I don't believe it's in our best interest to become a separate nation. I think there's a lot of complexities to that. I don't see how it benefits the bulk of Californians. To win people over, Marcus and Lewis were gonna have to come up with good answers to tough questions. What would happen to California's economy? The water we drink and the food we eat. Pulling away from another country is not easy at all. What do the borders look like? How are you going to separate from the U.S. military? What happens with the nuclear weapons? There are 150 questions like that. We'll be trying to answer these questions and more as we weave together the rest of this podcast. And we're going to start by asking a question that's sort of at the center of every major conflict in American history. What about the land? Growing up, Marcus Ruiz Evans felt that California was different, that it was above the racism poisoning the rest of the United States. The truth is a lot more complicated. California was home to over 100 native tribes, but when settlers arrived, they stole their lands, murdered their people, and relegated the survivors to the margins of society. There were bounties, bounties that were put out on Native Americans. $50 for a man, I think, 20 for a woman, 10 for a child. It was gruesome, it was grisly. It was the invasion of white settlers looking for gold wiped out so much of what the original California was, both flora, fauna, and most tragically, the Native American population. Today, many of these tribes are fighting for the return of their ancestral lands. The same lands CalExit is now trying to claim for itself. Who owns the land? Who should own it? That's next time on The Last Resort. The Last Resort is an Interval Presents original production from Awfully Nice. From Interval Presents, the executive producers are Alan Coy and Jake Kleinberg. Executive producers from Awfully Nice are Jesse Burton and Katie Hodges. Written and produced by Jesse Burton and Dana Balut. Associate producer is Suzanne Gaber. Project management by Kadi Kamakate. 
editing, sound design, and mix by Nick Cipriano and Kiana McClellan of Bang Audio Post. Original music by my boy, Matawai Yuhi, and me, Shutezkot. Theme song by me, Shutezkot, and Sweet Sound. Fact-checking by Lauren Vespoli. Script consultation by William Bauer. Operations lead is Sarah Yu. Business development lead is Sheffi Elenswig. And marketing lead is Samara Still. I'm your host, Shutezkot. For a full list of the sources used in this episode, please check the show notes. Make sure to follow, rate, and review The Last Resort on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. I roll with the wolves, we run through the woods, we run where we won't.